From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are rocking it for another great edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk to you about cars. I am, uh, as as they say, the host of this show, and this show is all about cars. I have a fantastic show lined up for you today, as usual. Lots of good stuff to talk about, but before I get into any of that, I need to mention... Uh, some really cool news, which is that I have secured a fantastic guest for next week's show. I am really, really excited to announce that on the show next week will be Alistair Moffat. And um, if his name sounds familiar, that's because he is a 13-time Guinness World Record holder for all sorts of feats of precision driving. If you've been Thumbing through the pages of Guinness World Records, you will have seen him. If you have seen his viral videos of crazy stunt driving, then you also know him as well. And I'm proud to announce that he will be joining me live on the show next week. So I'm really, really excited. You definitely got to tune in next week for that. Now, for this week's show, I do have some fun things in the works. Uh, we're going to be talking about Toyota Camrys. Yes, that's cool. Say, <laughs> There's a good reason this is cool. Trust me. And uh, also going to be talking about the uh, Biden presidential administration. We're not going to get political, but we're going to talk about their decision to allow E-15 fuel during the summer months uh, in an effort to curb uh, fuel costs. I'm going to talk about what exactly is E-15 uh, and also why this really won't do anything. Um, it might help with supply, but it's definitely not helping with price. And you might be saying, well... Wait, if there's more supply, that has to help with price, right? Well, there's a reason why, in this specific instance, it does not do that. Um, also, going to be talking about some other fun things. I, I got a lot of stuff in the works, uh, and of course, we're going to <laughs> we're going to mention some amazing things that I saw on um, Bring a Trailer. So uh, we're going we're gonna to go through all of that. But first, ladies, gentlemen, A90 Supras. Um, Okay, I want to talk about Elon Musk, and we're not going to talk about him in the capacity of having anything to do with Tesla, but a little bit about his offer to buy Twitter. And trust me, I'm going to connect this to cars, okay? This will ultimately boil down to cars, because, you know, this is, a, this is a car show. This is a car show. But uh, Elon Musk, as you may have heard, if you did not, uh, he has uh, offered to buy Twitter after buying a 9% stake in the company. He is now leveraging that and now offering to buy the whole company for $43 billion. That is a, uh, that's that's a Dr. Evil type of billion. You know, you put your, your finger up to your mouth, billion dollars. <laughs> so that's a lot of cash. And uh, But, you know, my thoughts, obviously, as a car enthusiast, aren't what sort of companies could I buy for $43 billion that would make me money and would be smart business decisions? No, 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 no. We car, us car people, we, uh, we don't think that way. And uh, neither does uh, James Gilboy from The Drive. I got to give him a hat tip for uh, doing all the legwork and researching this. But the question is... Not what could, you know, what companies could you buy for that money? The question then becomes, how many Toyota Camrys could you buy for $43 billion? This is, uh, this is the sort of uh, highbrow knowledge you come to this show for, by the way. So, uh, and the, uh, the short answer uh, is uh, many. 
you could you could buy a lot of them. In fact, you could buy every single one of them in existence. And uh, uh, James on the drive goes into some great detail how he did some math and figured out. Firstly, you got to figure out how how many Camrys there are in the world because um, the Camry has been made since uh, 1982, which, by the way, it is the 40th anniversary of the Camry. And uh, so Camrys, they, they've been around for a while, uh, but a uh, recent uh, recent assumption is about 5% of the cars made before the model year 2000 remain. And of all the Camrys made up until that point, uh, there's a currently a um, running total of um, 10.2% million Camrys in the world. So uh, you have to, it's in order to pull this math off, you have to do some assumptions because the numbers don't, just don't exist. But if you assume about 5% of those cars have survived since 1982 up to 2000, that's about 150,000 cars. I think 5% is not a generous enough assumption because, I mean, come on, these are, these are Camrys we're talking about. They run forever. The Camrys, there are Camrys that will literally outlive the sun. Just throwing that out there. The sun will go critical, it will explode, and there will be Camrys floating around in space still. Um, but if we assume that, so that's 150,000 cars before that. Now, after that, um, you get there are uh, about 7.2 million Camrys total that have been made since 2000. And again, another somewhat generous assumption that 65% of those, you take 65% of that's about 4.6 million. And then you combine that with the previous 150,000 or whatever, you get about rough math here, about 4.8 million cars. So if you have 4.8 million cars, uh, then you have to come up with an average price for all of those cars. Uh, so, and if you imagine the average price from a new Camry being in the $20,000 range, you know, base to some of the old Camrys, especially ones in a little rougher condition, uh, selling for only a few hundred dollars if they're really crusty, but still running. The criteria is that the, they all have to still exist. They can't be crushed pieces of steel, uh, for this to, uh, to apply to it. But you say an average of about $9,000, 8,900 bucks. $9,000 a car, and if you were to spend $43 billion and you offered $8,900 for each of the cars, you could, in fact, buy every single road-going Camry in existence uh, and have some money to spare. You'd be spending about $42 billion, so you would have $42 billion and some change. So you'd, you'd have a little bit of money left over to buy maybe a I don't know, buy a few Corollas to go with, <laughs> with all of your Camrys. So, yeah, there you go. Could Elon Musk buy every Camry in the world? Yes, he could. And uh, would he do that? He wouldn't. I mean, I, I would. I, I would do that. Um, now, obviously, too, I mean, you know, what would that do to the car market? The car market's already screwed up. But if you had a billionaire come, on, come around and say, I am going to acquire every single Camry in existence. What do you think that would do to the cost of the Camrys? I have a feeling that would uh, start extending the cost of each one beyond the uh, $8,900 average. So what can I say? What can I say? The things I would do with all the money versus the things Elon Musk would do with the money. Obviously, he's buying Twitter. I like the idea with the Camrys. And again, hat tip to uh, James Gilboy from The Drive for actually pulling all this uh, math off. So, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, where would you even put all the Camrys? I don't know. But the fact is, you would have enough money to have a different Camry for every single day of your life, and you would you would, you would, would definitely die. <laughs> you would die off of old age before you even had a chance to drive 
probably, you know, the rest of them, a good chunk of them, a very sizable chunk of them. So, yeah, there you go. You know what? You you can go to other places to get sophisticated technical knowledge, and you come to this podcast for uh, for this sort of stuff. So uh, I think I think that's really cool. That's a fun thing to uh, open up on here. And um, I uh, I don't know. I I'm a fan of this. I think this is what we should this is what we should start doing. Screw Twitter. Twitter's I, I, there's nothing of value on there that is of value to cars, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, there's car people on there, but but I'm just saying, Camrys, Twitter. What would you do? Yeah, here we go. You know what I'll do is I'll put a poll up on the uh, the Facebook page. You can uh, you can let me know what you would do with the money. Uh, go to Facebook.com/slash/automotiveadhd. Now, I do want to get into some really interesting things regarding fuel and what the current presidential administration is doing about it, and uh, also, also some really exciting news about the Toyota Supra. Oh yeah, Toyota is finally listening to its customers. This is really cool. You got to stick around for that. Right after this break. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft. Child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. Oh yeah, that is an Acura NSX car sounds, of course, courtesy of friend of the show, Josh Maldonado. Josh, want to thank you for uh, sending that in. By the way, uh, Josh said when he sent that in that that NSX is uh, from a shop that he works at where they specialize in NSXs, and that is the 19th NSX that they have uh, worked on. Uh, in this past year, which is very, very cool. And of course, I uh, I love the NSX. I mean, the NSX is, you know, to me, you know, I, I don't know if I could say I'm a diehard Honda fan because I only own one Honda and my uh, three other Toyotas would probably... Um, would probably beg to differ, but <laughs> that said, uh, I do like the uh, S2000. That's that's the Honda I have, and uh, which recently I, I fixed the clutch. Finally, I know everyone was telling me, "Oh, you, you suck at doing this. You're waiting. You're just procrastinating." I know uh, doing the clutch on that S2K was uh, was a pain. It sucked. It's a lot easier doing a transmission, taking a transmission out on like literally anything else. But uh, anyway, uh, that said, the NSX, again, such a cool car. I mean, you've got a V6. It's mid-engine. It's VTEC. It has, uh, you know, it's rear-wheel drive. It's got pop-up headlights, at least on the earlier ones, the NA ones. Like, very, very cool. Uh, and, of course, manual transmission, mid-engine, pop-up headlights, rear-wheel drive, VTEC. Oh, my God. That is, uh, that is a recipe for perfection. 
and it's a Honda. It's reliable, too. You could daily drive the darn thing. So, uh, yeah, very cool. Again, Josh, thank you for sending that in. I really enjoy uh, hearing that stuff, and I'll have to uh, plan a trip up to your uh, your uh, tuning shop that you work at sometime. Uh, he's uh, By the way, Josh said he's in Mass- Massachusetts, so... I'm going to have to plan a trip up there. I just, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> it's going to have to happen. So anyway, if you'd like to send your car sounds into the show, you can, of course, do that. You can uh, post them on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page, facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. You can also email them to me if email is more your speed. That's cool. Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. Love to hear those car sounds. And, of course, by sending those into the show, uh, you then are also entered for a chance to win the Automotive ADHD keychain and a $25 gift certificate to your favorite art store. Lots of good stuff there. And, of course, those keychains as well are uh, made possible by all of the folks uh, on the Patreon as well as a whole bunch of other really good things in the works. So if you haven't checked that out, check out the Patreon as well. Now, what I want to talk about is fuel. Oh, man, I've had a couple of great episodes about fuels and things. Uh, You know, last week I talked about e-fuels, sort of a futuristic Uh, approach to things to keep internal combustion alive and it's very much real and it's very much a thing that exists um so you i would encourage you to check that out but also ethanol oh yeah i've talked about ethanol in great detail on this show before uh e85 what exactly is it why is it cool why did i convert my 40 year old toyota to run ethanol Well, aside from the fact that I I can, because I can, also because it's very cool. Now, what's interesting is the Biden administration, the presidential administration, has recently announced, uh, and I'm going to keep most of my, uh, you know, internal politics, my uh, personal politics out of this, but uh, the administration announced that they would be um, allowing the sale of E15 fuels through the summer months. And I'm of the opinion that this will have no substantial difference in the terms of fuel costs, but it might help with fuel availability at the very least. And we're, we're going to get into that. But first, just a, a quick refresher on uh, ethanol-based fuels. So obviously you have E85, very popular in the, in the, auto, in the auto enthusiast scene. Um, obviously E85 has a higher octane rating. It's closer to about hundred octane. Um, it's better for performance applications. You could almost call it race gas for the street. Now the 85, uh, comes from 85% ethanol, 15% gasoline. That's how you get E85. Now the biggest drawback to ethanol is the energy density is lower, meaning you have to burn more of it to go the same distance as you do with gasoline. Now, from a car enthusiast perspective, it makes a lot of sense because because it's higher octane, uh, because it tends to be cheaper, you can get away with running more aggressive timing and other, you know, higher compression, more timing, different things like that. So you, you can do that. And from an enthusiast perspective, it makes sense even if you're getting a reduction in miles per gallon uh, because it has less energy density. Now, in my, uh, my AE86... Uh, running ethanol. It's running. It's a non-stock engine. It's a 4AGE 20 valve ITBs. It's it's not stock, so I don't expect it to get good gas mileage. It's it's not made for gas mileage. It's made for screaming around at like 9,000 RPM and ITB noises. Uh, and it was made also to be cheap. So uh, that that said, uh, I before I switched to ethanol, I was getting like 26, 27 miles to the gallon on the highway. If I was romping around the racetrack or doing an autocross, I was getting like five 
miles to the gallon. I mean, come on. When you're when you're driving in a performance context, no one gives a crap about fuel economy. Maybe unless you're doing a, an endurance race, like 24 hours of Le Mans or something, and you need to stop less for fuel. But uh, I don't know. The, the fact is, yeah, when you're racing, you can't expect to get good fuel economy. But when I switch to the ethanol, I'm getting like 19, maybe, maybe 20 miles to the gallon, uh, depending on how I'm driving. And that's not scientific at all. That's just me calculating off of my odometer whenever I fill up. And, you know, obviously my um, driving style might be different if I'm cruising to Denver or if I'm uh, romping around on a good, you know, back road. So so don't take that as a scientific uh, example of the difference between, you know, regular and ethanol. But the fact is I, I get less. I get less. So um when we have to, when we're putting E15 fuel uh, into our cars, so E15, much like E85, is 85% ethanol, 15% gasoline. E15 is basically the inverse of that. It's 15% ethanol, 85% gasoline. And the idea being that E15 can run in most modern cars, if not honestly all of them. And uh, you've, I guarantee. If you're in the United States, you've probably run E15 and not even noticed. So um, that's one benefit. Now, it tends to get used as uh, the ethanol tends to be put in there as a uh, as an economical way to boost octane. Uh, you can also learn all about octane rating on a, another episode of this show I did, breaking down what exactly is octane. And uh, that's a great episode. Scroll down in your podcast feed. You will find that. Now, uh, will the E15 cause a reduction in fuel costs? Well, technically, yes, it will, because the ethanol is cheaper than the gasoline. I filled up with E85 recently. It's been hovering here in Colorado between 265 and 280 a gallon, depending on the day, uh, which is really good. Now, uh, normally... Uh, when regular gasoline is cheaper and premium is cheaper, it ends up being a little more expensive, honestly, to run the ethanol because you're burning more of it than it is to just run premium. But uh, now that premium, at least here in Colorado, I've seen it touching $5 a gallon at some places. And heaven forbid, if you live in California and you're paying $18 a gallon or something absurd, I don't know, like seven, maybe um, the ethanol being at like to uh, sub $3 a gallon is actually cheaper. Even if you're burning more of it, that doesn't matter. It's still cheaper. So, um, but that's not necessarily the case with the E15. Sure, you've got, uh, and, I, and I should mention firstly that most gas stations that you go to, you will notice a disclaimer at the gas pump that says uh, gas, gasoline, uh, I almost said gasohol. <laughs> that's the thing they used to call it, by the way, like back in the like 80s and 90s, they called it gasohol. But uh, no, um, Gasoline may contain up to 10% ethanol. And so gasoline already, uh, in a lot of cases, is E10, if you want to use the same nomenclature. And by going to E15, that's only a 5% increase in ethanol content, so a 5% reduction in gasoline and, uh, and you know, gasoline and, and oil use. So... It's not that substantial, and now it might reduce the price at the pump. The price at the sign at the gas station might go down 10 cents, 10, 15 cents a gallon. People say, oh, look, it's cheaper. Well, the problem is you have the same issue with the E15 as you do with the E85, which is energy density. The e the ethanol in that fuel is not as energy dense as the gasoline. So you are going to get a slight reduction. That's E15 versus E85. You're going to get a slight reduction with the E15 in fuel economy. It won't be drastically noticeable like it is with E85, but you're going to get a reduction in economy. 
Uh, you're going to be go you basically what I'm getting at is you can't look at your fuel cost as the price per gallon on the sign in front of the gas station. You have to look at your fuel cost price per distance traveled, especially when you start playing with ethanol and all sorts of things. When you're talking about that energy density, it makes much more sense to say it costs me twenty five dollars to travel this distance instead of saying it's, you know, 270 a gallon. That tells me nothing about the actual distance you can travel with said fuel. And um, so the E15 will be less fuel efficient, subtly, probably not a big deal. Uh, and the fact is, by allowing the sale of this year round, and normally it's only sold in the winter again, sort of as a, you know, octane booster. Um, and the administration has currently had a ban on selling it in the summer for air quality concerns allegedly even though uh the ethanol burns cleaner than the gasoline so i don't know why that matters but whatever it does so basically we're switching to e15 for a couple of months out of the year it's only five percent more ethanol than gasoline so it's a marginal amount for a couple more months out of the year than it normally is used anyway um it's not gonna make much of a difference uh is what i'm getting at i mean you're not gonna be putting a big dent on the average, the actual cost to the driver, to the driver's bank account, you're not going to be making that much of a difference, um, even though the cost at the pump will appear to be cheaper. Um, the cost to travel a certain distance either will stay about the same or go up, if anything. And uh, so where, where I do see a benefit from this is... Uh, in terms of the fuel supply. So we make the ethanol and we produce that domestically. That is made here in the United States. Uh, it's made from corn. Now, I've, you can actually make ethanol from all sorts of things like like soy and potatoes. It's just we have chosen to use it for corn. And there's this whole life cycle of, you know, ethanol producing carbon dioxide when it's burned. That goes into the atmosphere. And then the corn, being a plant, uses... Um, carbon dioxide as part of its life cycle so it sucks in that carbon dioxide and then grows and then we harvest that make more fuel and it's a whole happy cycle recent studies have also said that that maybe isn't as efficient as we think it is but i'm not going to get into that i don't have those numbers in front of me but um the the fact is that like the, the ethanol it, it's not going to be a huge difference like we'll have more ethanol in the fuel by five percent so we're reducing our fuel usage or rather i should say our gasoline usage by five percent uh, 5% out of hundreds of millions of barrels of fuel, that is a substantial amount. I'm not going to get around that. So if anything, I see the benefit here as just purely helping out the supply chain, uh, relieving using fuel that we already produce domestically and using that as a means of relieving some of the demand on the current gasoline supply. And as a result, that might cause prices to go down a little teeny bit more because, you know, supply and demand, well, we're pulling some of the demand off of that supply chain with more ethanol. So, yeah, that, that might work. It's not going to be major, though. That's what I'm getting at is it's not going to be major. And you know what? You know what we ought to do? Here's, here is the, the gearhead in me says, why don't we convert everything to run E85? Now, the, the only concern you have with E85 is older vehicles uh, whose fuel lines are, you know, not made of a rubber that can support ethanol. Ethanol tends to be pretty... It's kind of rude to uh, certain types of rubbers and plastics, so especially on older cars. Um, and I will say, even with the E15, um, if you have a old classic car on all old classic, you know, uh, fuel lines, and I'm talking like pre-80s, everything had the 80s on, there was already E10. So a lot of the fuel system components have, have been designed for a portion, a small amount of ethanol at least. If you've got a really classic car, uh, I would avoid putting the E85 or, well, I would avoid putting the E15 in it too, just purely out of the sake of not wanting to destroy your stuff. 
then again, it'll probably be fine unless you let it sit around too long. But I don't know. I digress. What we got to do, we have to just do everything. Everything on E85. It smells good. I, come on. Like, if you've been around a car burning E85, come on. Doesn't it smell delicious? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Either that or we should just, uh, I've said it before on this show, let's all just start distilling ethanol at home. And uh, then the ATF will knock on our doors and be like, hey, why are you making all this moonshine? Well, uh, no, it's, it's not moonshine. I'm burning it in my car. So anyway, hey, I got more stuff to talk about, like really questionable um, bring a trailer auction listings. There's some good ones here. I'm going to run through those. And of course, more of your car sounds coming up right after this break. Did you know, there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it, and despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. Yeah, that is Eric's 2004 Honda Accord with a six speed manual. Yeah, not too often you find manual transmissions in those. Uh, by the way, if you have car sounds, you want to share them, I will play them on this show. And have you entered for a chance to win the automotive ADHD keychain? It says you have uh, somewhat questionable taste in podcasts. And of course, a gift certificate to your favorite parts store. Now, before I talk about some interesting and perhaps too expensive things that were spotted on uh, Bring a Trailer, I do have one really Really significant piece of news, and I am I am excited to announce the fact that the uh, Toyota Supra, the A90, the fifth generation Supra, uh, is officially going to have a manual transmission. Yes, us crusaders for the manual have officially one yeah we beat them we we coaxed toyota into putting a manual transmission in it finally so a few days ago uh, and i posted this on the automotive adhd facebook page uh toyota posted a very not cryptic a <laughs> very blunt post on their twitter page just you know a picture of three pedals uh and a picture you know the pedal box right three pedals okay it's like all right cool and then it just says hashtag supra that's all the confirmation we need. Yeah. The um look, when the Toyota Supra came out, I uh I wrote a uh article that on the now defunct Drive Tribe that had probably it was I think about 55, 60,000 reads. It was probably <laughs> the coolest thing I ever put to writing, which is I don't know, that's probably not saying much, but uh I did talk about how when that car came out, how everyone was wrong and hating it and that I really actually like it. You know, I, I was playing devil's advocate a bit, but the only thing I could slam the car for was not being a BMW, not being a rebadged, up-badged, or you could maybe say down-badged. Is it technically down-badging? It's a, I don't know. A rebadged BMW, okay? Um, yeah, and I, the only thing I could say against it was that it did not have a manual transmission. What sort of purpose-built sports car 
doesn't have a manual. Now I get, you know, Mercedes, for example, with, you know, big grand touring cars, big fast sedans. They're not really light sports cars. You're not really throwing them around a racetrack or anything. Sure you can, and sure people do, but that's not a sports car. It's a, you know, big grand touring car. But the Supra, um, the, a, the, the Mark V Supra is more of a sports car than the Mark IV Supra is. The Mark IV Supra falls into that grand touring category, and uh, I have uh, fairly good experience driving one. A friend of mine has one, and I've, I've driven it. It's right-hand drive. I've driven it plenty of times. Um, it's a fun car, but by no means is it a simple, you know, uh, it's a simple, nimble, tiny sports car. It's it's fun. It's fast. But, you know, it's the old one. The Mark IV still has a manual. It's very cool car. But the fact is the new one, the Mark V, has a shorter wheelbase than even my S2000. And the S2000 is known for its short wheelbase. And, and you know, that plays into its really playful handling. That's one thing. Now, the Supra has an even shorter wheelbase than that. Not much shorter. I mean, like, they're almost identical. I believe the Supra's wheelbase is only a couple of centimeters, if that, shorter. But having said that, um, the Mark V is absolutely a sports car. And how you could have a sports car without a manual transmission? That's like when I gripe about electric cars being used as sports cars. That's that's the issue. You lose that engagement. You know, like who cares if the uh, who cares if the automatic is faster? We don't buy sports cars to go fast. Well, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, who am I kidding? We totally do. But we're not chasing lap times so hard that we're chasing the hundredth of a second, you know, like in racing. And F1 now, obviously, they're using, you know, double clutches and all sorts of stuff because that's just, you know, faster. DSG gearboxes, even in in different parts of competition and, and things like that, you know, that's just faster. If your your goal is winning races, that's just faster. But you know what? The manual transmission is the fun way to do it. And Toyota, you know, are they the ultimate car company? Because, look, what other car company is owned by a car guy, Akio Toyota, He, the CEO. Uh, he's part of the original Toyota lineage. He is a car guy. I've mentioned him before. He races on the weekends. He goes undercover on the Toyota race team. I mean, the dude loves driving. Okay, so we got that. We've got a great CEO. Uh, you know, b- business decisions be damned. Who cares? No, we've got a great CEO who makes sports cars, and that's what we want. Uh, and then Toyota listens to their customers. Back when, uh, a few months back, when they decided to, um, well, when they decided to do the uh, subscription service for the key fobs on their cars, the remote start, and all these things, and there was huge, a huge outcry from the owner base of saying. Hey, this is a mechanical feature on the car. Why are we paying a subscription monthly and yearly to use it? You know, you bought the car by having a subscription service to a mechanical feature of the car. We're not talking about having like OnStar or satellite navigation or any of that stuff or internet service in the car. We're talking about a honest to God physical feature of the car. Why should you pay a subscription service for that? That means you don't own the car. Well, Toyota heard that backlash. They were going to do it. The the suits there, the penny, the bean counters, counting the pennies, um, said that, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to make some more money. And then the, the backlash from not only the automotive media, but from the owners was substantial. And they backpedaled. They did the right thing. They shouldn't have done it in the first place, but they did the right thing. So again, now Toyota is making, you know, we say we want more enthusiast-driven cars. 
Well, they just have announced the GR Corolla, you know, a hatchback, a hot hatch that's all-wheel drive, 300 horsepower, turbocharged, is only offered in a manual transmission. Um, again, the, the you know, Toyota, what this does is it proves that Toyota is listening to its customers. Toyota has also committed to continuing support of the internal combustion engine while its competitors are, you know, are, are uh, switching to these plans that, ooh, we're going to be EV only by 2030, EV only by 2040, all these, you know, big overarching plans. Toyota says we will continue supporting the enthusiast. We will continue supporting the, you know, combustion-powered car and researching this in order to preserve it in a political climate that is contrary to it. And uh, so, again, are they the perfect car company? I'm clearly not biased. I, I don't, don't look in my driveway. There's... There's not three Toyotas there, but <laughs> regardless, uh, does it count if they run? Because like half of them don't run. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that counts. But um, the only like, come on, like they're they're doing really good. You know, I I'm not trying to be a Toyota fanboy here. I love the offerings Honda has. I love the new Integra. I I love stuff like that. I love American stuff. Dodge with their their muscle stuff and their team of muscle and their uh, you know marketing around their muscle cars has been fantastic. So I'm. I'm not just being a total fanatic of Toyota. Well, I am. But, I mean, I'm not doing that out of a just a, a, a blind sense of being uh, devoted to them. No, I just like as a company what they're doing. And guess what? When they came out with the Supra and all of the reviewers and journalists got their hands on it, every single one of them said, wow, it's a really well-balanced car. It sounds good. It looks great for a BMW. And it... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. And, uh, and and it's a perfect sports car, except for one thing. There's, there's only two pedals. There should be three. And Toyota listened to that. Finally, it took him a couple of years. You know, the when the car came out as well, you know, people were scratching their heads and saying, why doesn't this have a, uh, you know, manual transmission when the BMW Z4 even offers, which the car is based on, you know, it's, again, it's heavily based on that BMW. It shares a platform with it. That has a manual. So clearly the parts for the pedal box, the shifter, and all that stuff, all the R&D, all the research has been done. Toyota even said themselves, initially defending their decision to not sell the manual, they announced, you know, well, we uh, we actually developed a manual with the car. You know, we tested it. We have fielded all the developments for it. But we just don't think it's going to sell. And, uh, well, again, the backlash was was uh, was stiff, okay? So uh, by listening to their customers, at the end of the day, from a company perspective, um, listening to the customers is going to always yield, in, in my opinion, more profits. Because when you listen to your customer base, not only does that create a sense of loyalty to the company, but that also creates a sense of the customers buying, you know, a sense of them knowing they can buy what they want not what some manufacturer who thinks they knows best thinks based on statistics and research groups and think tanks and all that stuff. You know, they say, oh, this will probably work the best. And then the consumers say, no, it's ridiculous. Give us what we want. They're going to make more money giving the consumers what they want. I mean, look at all the folks who uh, earnestly, I'm not one of them because I buy cheap crap cars, but all the folks who in true earnesty had cash in hand, and we're cross-shopping the Toyota Supra with, uh, you know, say the Porsche 911. And that's, you know, Toyota has always been competing with the fast, exotic European stuff. Even with the original Supras, the Mark IV Supra, again, its big competitor was, you know, the European stuff. You know, uh, the Japanese were trying to create a sense of 
Um, they were they were trying to create a sense of trust and quality. You know that is known for those European cars, which it's ironic looking back on it now and thinking of BMWs and you know Mercedes as being the epitome of you know mechanical quality. But having said that, um, and all the Mercedes fans just like tuned out right there. <laughs> no, um, but uh, but no, they're they're going to be able to hold their customers uh, and keep them. And people with cash in hand who were cross shopping those cars were sitting there saying, "Gosh, I really like the new Supra. I like how it sounds. I like how it looks. The fake vents are maybe a bit much, but I can I can overlook the fake vents." Oh, but it's only a it's only a ma- uh, automatic. It's only that. I I you know, but the Porsche, you know, I could buy the automatic Porsche with the PDK, which would be fun, but I could also still buy the Porsche with a manual transmission and a Porsche manual transmission at that, which is one of the best in existence. So, uh, you know, and those folks now who maybe bought that Porsche, you know, or were considering it again, we're talking real cash buyers. It's, it's easy for me to comment on this, not being a real cash buyer. Cause I cannot recall the last time I threw 60 grand down on a car. Cause I never have, I have continuously bought tons of terrible garbage cars that in hindsight, fixing said cars, I've probably spent that much money. I probably could have bought one nice car, but instead I have seven cars that, I mean, hey, what what can you do? Such is the life. Such is the life. But um, yeah, I think it's a good move for Toyota. Listening to your customers is important. It is critical to being respected by your customers. And Toyota has achieved that perfectly. I cannot wait to see the new Supras out with manual transmissions. And who knows? One of them might fall off of a truck and get dinged up and then then I may maybe I'll buy it maybe I'll, maybe I'll I'll buy it if it's uh if it's broken enough I'll do it I'll do it uh but uh you know it, it probably likely again this will be uh you know there's there's still rumor of faster supras being out there with or being in the works I should say um you know that the version of the super we know with the engine that it has you know obviously that Toyota shares that platform with BMW and BMW makes more powerful engines that can exist in that platform. So it's obvious that making a special fast Supra that's even more powerful is probably in the works. It'll probably also have the manual transmission. I'll be a little disappointed if uh, if the Supras with the manual transmission are limited to the four cylinder models. I will be a little disappointed by that. Now, the four cylinder Supras, don't get me don't get me wrong, are um are great because, you know, the way we have been able to achieve power these days with modern turbocharging and tuning, the four cylinders are excellent. And in fact, for track cars, I can think of several people who have actually opted for the four-cylinder Supra versus the six-cylinder one, which that seems contrary. But the four-cylinder one weighs less, has a better weight distribution. You have less weight hanging over the front axle, the you know, and uh, you that, that four-cylinder keeps... Keeps it more like a front mid-engine car with that that engine tucked behind the strut towers uh, and really helps with uh, uh, weight balance and handling. And not to mention, the four cylinders can be tuned for even more power. You can match the power of the six-cylinder with the four-cylinder versions now. You know, we always, you know, decades past, people have kind of poo-pooed, you know, four-cylinder cars as being the, you know, lesser option. But when it comes to that now, the four-cylinder one in the Supra, at the very least, is very good, and people really enjoy them. But if I'm buying a Supra, though, I want the sound, the wail, the noise of a straight six. I want that. So I really hope, I really hope that the four-cylinder version, you know, is not the only one to get the manual transmission. It's possible 
It is possible. Maybe the R&D for that manual only happened in the four-cylinder, and it's not designed for the six. It's not designed for that torque and that output, and maybe it'd be just too expensive to design one for that. I don't know. I really hope, though. My fingers are crossed. We'll only know, uh, you know, we'll only know eventually. So I, I have uh, hopeful thoughts for the manual transmission Supra. Now, one more thing I promised I would get to. Uh, I've been browsing around on Bring a Trailer lately, which, uh, if you're like me, a lot of people do this. It is one of the best ways to just waste away time uh, is uh, browsing through Bring a Trailer, some of the auction listings. And uh, hat tip to uh, Steve De Silva from Jalopnik. He also thinks the same thing uh, because uh, he put together a phenomenal list of some of the maybe best, maybe worst sales right currently this week on um, on Bring a Trailer, which, get this, can you imagine, all right, I want you to picture a 1993 Geo Metro convertible, there's not a whole lot of those, except in like bright Barbie pink, yeah, yeah, and then picture how much you think that's worth, okay, I guarantee you're wrong, because it sold for $11,671 yeah, for a Geo Metro, I would pay, I wouldn't pay eleven thousand for it. I might pay eleven hundred for it because it's really clean. But um, Geo Metros, you got to remember, this is the same car that now there's you know sub three hundred dollar versions of it. You know of them going around uh, the twenty four hours of lemons race, not Le Mans, lemons. It's a, there's a whole class of cars for just Geo Metros. So I can't imagine paying 11000 for one. This one does have a, a reasonable reasonable miles, 36000 Okay, whatever. But there's some other things. There's other things interesting on here. Like, for instance, a 1972 Di Tommaso Pantera. Hands down, one of the most interesting supercars of the 70s, in my opinion. I think they're cooler than Countach's. I think they're cooler than Ferrari's. They look beautiful. Beautiful. I, I am a big fan of them. Except this one's mm, a little crusty. Um, looks like it has sat underneath a bridge uh, for 30 years, which uh, apparently this one has. They're asking 33000 or That's what it's sold for. So, uh, one other final thing uh, I want to I mention that I saw on here was a Ford Bronco's bad or for ford bronco badlands a four-door for you know it's a new one a 2021 for the mere price of seventy-three thousand five hundred dollars. you see the problem with this one is the msrp is fifty seven thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars so it's 15 grand over sticker and someone paid that okay so when we're talking car markups right and the markups are rampant in this market um, for one, the dealers are partially at fault because they are, uh, they are the ones selling things for a substantial markup. But then aside from the dealers are the people who buy a lot of these cars. They're pretty well off monetarily. They buy a bunch of them, no intention of driving them, just knowing that they're cool cars and, oh, I'm going to go flip them on bring a trailer for more than MSRP. And then the final person to blame for this whole thing are the knuckleheads paying 15 grand over MSRP. Like, come on. Like, you, if any one of these people, the dealer, the scalper, or the person misguidedly buying this for 15 grand over sticker, if any of them, if any one of these people bail out and they don't do it, the equation falls apart. So we just, ah, 
that's a uh, that's a thing, you know. Hey, if you want to talk about grinding grinding gears, this definitely grinds uh, grinds mine. Like just just buy the cars and enjoy it. I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, one other. I keep saying one other thing. There's okay. There's a couple other things. Uh, there's a uh, first gen uh, Dodge Ram, so the one from the '90s. Thirteen thousand. Or sorry, so I, I read the wrong number there. Sorry, seventy six thousand dollars. Why? Oh gosh, it's just everything from the '90s is is appreciating uh it massively nostalgia is a very tough sell it is a very very uh profitable thing i should say rather and um a, a first gen ram i like i remember uh, you know those being just normal work trucks 76 grand except the one special thing about this truck is it has and uh, this is proof that you can never drive this truck ever again. Uh, and not, and it's not that they cost seventy-six thousand, and you're driving a seventy-six thousand dollar two thousand two Ram. No, it's that it has exactly, precisely sixty-nine miles on the uh, odometer. So um, I think that's why it's seventy-six thousand dollars. The bidding probably should have stopped at you know I don't know seven thousand dollars short of that. Just saying. But anyway, uh, and the last thing, actually the last thing. I know I'm just having fun here on the podcast. I, I get to be a little more long form. I uh, I do hope you enjoy me going a little bit longer into stuff. Of course, if you want to hear things a little more uh, condensed and fast paced, you got to tune into that radio show. Uh, but having said that, the last thing, a 1997 Supra Turbo Mark IV Supra. Oh, yeah. If you want to cosplay as Paul Walker, this is uh this is for you. $84,000, which I can't believe I'm about to say this, but that's actually not a terrible deal considering, hold on, hold on, considering the market on them, because the market on these is well over 100000 In fact, Haggerty values this at uh, about 90000 for this car. So uh, it's definitely underpriced according to the market, though I am of the opinion that these cars should be selling from like twenty to 30000 max. Um, just consider, just considering what a hundred thousand gets you in terms of performance, in terms of luxury, in terms of, uh, actual handling and te technical specifications nowadays in 2022, like you can buy a better car for a hundred grand. Like, Ooh, nothing's better than the Mark IV Supra. Is that a Supra? Yeah, no, it's a Celica, but you can buy a technically better car for a hundred grand brand new with a warranty, faster, better looking, uh, better driving more reliable uh and so but uh, such as classic cars you know we you don't buy granted no one is buying one of these supras because they know it's the fastest thing they're not they're not especially stock they're not um they are buying it because they want to uh own a classic car now it's so weird talking about these cars in terms of classic cars but this is where we are i think uh we should have like we should have some way to defund the classic car bubble and drive these cars back down in price and then just drive the crap out of them. Or, I don't know, just do something like that. Get these cars back on the road. That's what I want to see. Maybe I have a, you know, I share the common opinion with that too. But still, still, I think that is what it is. Now, anyway, hey, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show. I also want to thank the Patreon subscribers who make this show a possibility. Uh, and I want to thank the folks who've come over to the podcast from the radio show, uh, getting a little extra content here than you do on the radio show. The radio show's fun too, though. Get to do some extra things there that I also can't do here. So it's kind of a win-win. Now, of course, you can subscribe to this fine podcast, wherever other 
decent podcasts, I guess, are downloaded. Oh, and one more thing. Um, don't forget to tune in next week. I have the special guest, the honor of having Alistair Moffat on my show, 13-time Guinness World Record holder. Current, He's got current. 13 records like like they're still standing uh and uh he's done some amazing feats of precision driving i guarantee you've seen videos of his driving you've perhaps seen him in the guinness world record book and i'm really excited to invite him on the show you have to tune in next week it is going to be phenomenal now i want to thank you for listening and i will see you same time same place next week when i'm all out of bubble gum see you then